Welcome back, everybody, to another week of BSF. This week we're in Matthew chapter 3, uh, looking at the Gospel of Matthew this year, and tonight we're going to be introduced to the character of John the Baptist. Let me pray for us, and then we can get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time that you have given us to be in this world, to experience your creation. Lord, thank you also that the kingdom of heaven is coming but has not yet arrived, and you are allowing more time for the people that you've made to repent and turn their hearts back to you. Lord, I pray for those who are hearing my voice tonight. I pray for those that are in this world, Lord, that they would have an opportunity to experience the call of the Holy Spirit and have the opportunity to have their hearts turned back towards God. Amen. Well, I wonder if anybody has taken an exam recently. Uh, The difficulty with exams is that we often have a lot of material that we need to prepare for, and somehow the time keeps on moving forward, and before we know it, the day of the exam is here. Now, if you're trying to figure out what's going to be on the exam, apart from reviewing your notes, apart from reading the textbook, one of the things that can be supremely helpful is the study guide. Study guide is often prepared by the teacher informing us what is the thing that we need to know most or most critically for the upcoming exam? And the other thing that we can do, at least one of the things that I tried to do, is I wanted to find somebody who's maybe taken that class, taken that exam before, and get a sense of what can I expect? What do I need to know? What is it going to be like to experience the exam? You've been there. You've done it. I haven't. Help me understand it. And so as we look at Matthew 3 tonight, we're going to meet John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And I think that as we look at the first part of John, uh, this passage on John in Matthew 3, 1 through 11, we're going to see John give us a bit of a study guide. We're going to, he's going to inform us about the things that we need to know most critically as we expect the approach of the kingdom of heaven. And in the second half of Matthew chapter 3, we're going to meet Jesus. We're going to meet the fully adult, ready, almost ready to begin his earthly ministry, Jesus. And if anybody knows about the kingdom of heaven, it is Jesus. He is the one who has lived there. He has dwelled there. He is united with God the Father. Uh, We know from the end of this passage that God is pleased with him. The Spirit has descended upon him. And so if anybody can prepare us for what to expect as the kingdom of heaven approaches, it is certainly the person of Jesus. And we'll meet Jesus, we'll hear his first word spoken in the Gospel of Matthew tonight. The main lesson this week is to learn that Jesus is the only way that we can enter and truly experience the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the only way that we can enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's go ahead and get started. We're in in Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to take a look at a couple of things here as John begins his ministry. Uh, We're going to look at John's message, starting off in verses 1 through 3. So John had a very simple message. I'll read some of this as we get started. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And here's his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So John's message was very simple. It was a message of repentance. And the reason that God's people would want to repent is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this notion of repenting in anticipation for what God is going to do is not a new idea to John's teaching. It is something that has come up in many, I don't want to say all, but many of the Old Testament prophets. Jeremiah 15, 9, if you repent, I will restore you. Isaiah 59, 20, the Redeemer, the Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. Ezekiel eighteen thirty two, repent and live. If you're wondering, what is repentance about? What does it involve? Uh, I'm going to give us three steps. I'm going to use some words that begin with C and then some words that begin with S to help us understand it. So, repentance. First of all, we must need conviction. We have to have someone reveal to us that there is sin that is requisite of us to confess. Second of all, there needs to be some level of contrition. Uh, Conviction is the C word. The S word for conviction is the word show. Contrition is the C word. The S word for the second step is sorrow. We need to have some level of regret or mourning for the sin that we have committed. And then finally, there's a conversion. There's a turning away from our sinful behavior and turning back towards God, the path that God would have us. And the S word for this one is stop. So conviction, contrition, conversion, show, sorrow, and stop. Those are the three parts that people will go through as they experience repentance, as they go through the process of repenting. And the reality is that we need God to help us with all three parts of that process. And we're going to see a little bit tonight how John's ministry, maybe some of the work of the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus himself helps people move through that. So John's ministry was also anticipated. Uh, John's uh, the person, the, the, the person who was going to come, we didn't know it was going to be John. We didn't know what his name was. But we knew that there was going to be one who anticipated the Messiah. Uh, and it was referred to uh, in this passage that we're looking at from, uh, from Isaiah. So, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That quotation in Matthew 3.3 3 is directly from the prophet Isaiah. He was a prophet during the reign of Uzziah. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. These are all kings of Israel. If you're wondering roughly when they occurred, Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. These guys were all in uh, Jesus's direct line. So John is the one. John is the one who is crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so what does it look like to do that? How were the people supposed to respond to this message? If John's preparing the way of the Lord, are they going to be out there with pickaxes and shovels fixing the roads? Not exactly. We can see that as we move in uh, to John's ministry, preparing the way for the Lord, verses 4 through 6 in chapter 3, uh, we're going to see how John does this. So first of all, we, we get a description of John's clothing, chapter 4, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 4. John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Now this evokes the clothing of Elijah. Now Elijah was promised to come in the, in the book of Malachi, Chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. So one of the questions we're left hanging with here, is John Elijah? Is John Elijah the prophet? Now we're going to find out in a few weeks the answer to that. So that's a teaser. Keep coming back. We'll find out if John is in fact Elijah. 
But we see what the response was to John's ministry of repentance. People from all over Judea and the region of the Jordan were coming, and they were confessing their sins, and they were being baptized by John in the Jordan River. Now, I would suggest to you that John's ministry was successful not because of his program, not because of his presentation, not because of his kids' ministry that he had. John's mission, John's ministry was successful because the Spirit of God was at work in the land of Judah. People were being motivated to come out of the cities, out of the places where they lived, out to the wilderness where John was preaching, and confess their sins, repent, and then be baptized by John. I I think of another preacher who had a very simple message, but yet it was very effective, that was Jonah. As Jonah went to the city of Nineveh, all Jonah said, according to the scripture, is that 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown, and it worked. The people of Nineveh responded, and the people of Judea are responding to John's ministry of repentance, calling people to confess their sin and repent. Now, why doesn't John tell people to go to the city of Jerusalem, go to the temple, buy a sheep, buy a goat, and offer sacrifices for atonement for their sin? John is certainly not one to stand against the law of Moses. Uh, but John also understood, as David did in the Psalms, let me read you Psalm fifty-one, sixteen: you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Another one from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 13. Rend, tear your heart, and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Certainly, the, the, the external actions that God's people take going to the temple, offering sacrifices, interacting well with neighbors, uh, you know, telling the truth, all the things that we're commanded to do as God's people, those things are important. But those things, the things that we say, the things that we do, the, thing that we, the things that we think flow out of our hearts. And, and so in order for us to go and be able to live lives, uh, live the kind of lives that we're going to hear about in a couple of weeks in the Sermon on the Mount, we have to deal with our hearts. And so... John's mission was to help people deal with their heart problems. John was going to go right into it and say, the problem that you need to deal with is sin that is present and resident and active in your heart. And the way that you deal with that is you repent, you confess. And as as we think about this mission and some of the reasons that John was operating in the wilderness and maybe not back in the cities is that the religious leaders came out to hear John's message. This was a phenomenon. There were people who were coming from all over to hear John and the religious leaders came as well. And we see this in uh, chapter three, verses seven through 10. John rebukes the religious leaders. He calls them a brood of vipers. He demands that they bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he also accuses them of fleeing the wrath to come. So as we begin to hear about the kingdom of heaven, part of the kingdom of heaven is going to be judgment. There is going to be wrath. Uh, As the kingdom of heaven is established on earth, two things are going to happen. There's going to be a great deliverance, and there is also going to be a great judgment. If we look back of, of God's judgment of the world from the pages of scripture, Noah and the ark, there was a great deliverance And there was also a great judgment. Noah was delivered. The world was condemned. And as the kingdom of heaven is established on earth, we're going to see both of those things happen. A great deliverance 
and a great judgment. And the, the differentiator is going to have something to do with repentance. And not just any kind of repentance, but true repentance. John talks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees about bear real fruit, true fruit, that keeps with repentance. And if we think back on some of the words of David, a broken spirit and a contrite heart that has confessed, that has repented, that has returned to God, and then has begun to live differently. The Pharisees were attacked by John because the Pharisees were obviously not doing this. They, they might have been teaching people to live well, follow the rules that we've set up for you, and we'll help you obey what God has for us to do. But, but the attack that John has is directed at the hearts of the Pharisees. They were not truly repentant because they were not bearing the fruit of repentance. And that is the criticism that, that John has. He, he challenges their one safety net, which is that they were related to Abraham. And they felt that because of their genetic descent, they would be saved. They would be part of God's kingdom because they were directly connected to Abraham. And John says, no, it's not going to do it. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. As we move on, we're going to see uh, some of the ways that John led uh, these, these, this ministry session that he was a part of, sort of his purpose in this world. If we look at uh, chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, we're going to see uh, John's philosophy, John's perspective about baptism. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so John had a, a ministry, water baptism and repentance, but yet a greater person was coming after John. Now, water baptism, use of water uh, as a part of religious ceremonies in, in the Old Testament and even as we come into the New Testament time was not unheard of. Even in the Old Testament law, there were some mandates that some of the times if you wanted to become clean, you had to go bathe or wash yourself or immerse yourself into water. And many of the archaeological findings in the city of Jerusalem from around this time found ritual baths or you know, in-home baptismals for the purpose of this ritual cleansing. Now, what we don't know about John's ministry is, you know, do people come out just one time and get baptized, or do they come out multiple times? And we don't know if he would immerse them into the water again and again. But what we do know is that the people were unable to stop sinning. And, and we, we know that from our own story. These folks were not that different than us. But they were not able to stop needing to repent of something, needing to confess some sin that they had done to somebody else or to the Lord. And, and so even though they were confessing, even though they were repenting, it ultimately wasn't eliminating the problem. Sin was still present in the hearts of these people. And so the coming baptism, the one that was going to come with the one who was promised, was going to be superior because it wasn't going to be based upon water. It was going to use the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, water cleansing doesn't last the way that we would like it, but Holy Spirit and fire cleansing make a more permanent change in those who experience it. 
John also talks about the threshing floor. There is a sense of finality that the one who was coming after John was going to finally clear the threshing floor. The wheat was going to go into the barn and the chaff was going to be destroyed with fire that is called unquenchable. And so there's a finality. There's a, there's a finality to the baptism that was coming that makes it superior to the baptism that John was uh, offering to his followers. Was John's, bapt- was John's baptism worthless? Of course not. And we're going to see Jesus partake in John's baptism in just a moment. But let's pause for a principle. Uh, The principle for this first section is that sin does not mix with the kingdom of heaven. Sin does not mix with the kingdom of heaven. The pieces, the the people at the Reese's company, right? Reese's Pieces and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups have reminded us over the years that mixing chocolate and peanut butter is a good thing. Right? That combination brings together something better than maybe either one of the two things by themselves. But you know, there are a lot of things that peanut butter doesn't go well with. I was thinking about you know, peanut butter and corn. It hasn't really caught on as a, as a great dessert or snack or food item. Uh, peanut butter and lake trout. Just, it isn't a thing. I mean, maybe it is somewhere, but certainly not one that we experience routinely. Or peanut butter and broccoli. Would it go down smoother with a little peanut butter on it? I don't think so. It would end up being a combination that wouldn't work. And one of the messages that John is telling us in this passage is that as the kingdom of heaven is approaching, sin has no place there. Sin is not something that is going to mix with the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Perhaps you can think of a sin that you have in your life that you're hoping you can slip into the kingdom. It'll be something that won't be noticed. It'll be something that will go unseen. It'll be something that is so minor and so small that, you know, it won't be a problem for that sin to enter the kingdom of heaven with you. Perhaps as we've been going through this passage and you've been thinking of John's ministry, you're thinking of what would be the sin that you would repent of? What would be the sin that you would go out to the Jordan to confess and to be baptized, to have washed away? And then what I would also challenge you to think about is if you've gone through this process of confession and repentance, how has repentance brought healing in your life? How have you experienced restoration and joy because you have sought to confess and repent your sins? Well, as we go on, we can see that Jesus came to the place where John was ministering. And we're going to look at this in verses 13 through 17. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And, and so, like the, like the religious leaders, like the crowds, like the people, Jesus came to see John. And he sought the same baptism that John was offering. Now, John wanted to stop it. John was like, hey, wait a minute. I probably need what you're offering more than you need what I'm offering. And so, John doesn't understand why there was a need for Jesus to be baptized. We can see that Jesus' experience with John was different. He had nothing to repent of. There was nothing that Jesus had to publicly confess to doing wrong before he went into the water because even though Jesus is getting into his 20s, maybe his mid-20s, maybe his 30s, Jesus had been living a life that was without sin, and so he had no need to repent. But yet, uh, Jesus speaks to John. We hear Jesus speak for the first time in the gospel. Jesus says to John, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is a confusing answer, but if we think about this, uh, Jesus was confirming John's ministry. 
by coming out, by, by going to the Jordan, by going to the river, he was, he was validating the ministry that John had been carrying out in uh, the region of Judea. Second of all, Jesus was identifying with the people that he came to save. Remember, Jesus' name is Jesus saves. Jesus, it means Jesus saves. And we're told back in Matthew 1 that Jesus will save his people from what? From their sins. And so by coming out, by undergoing baptism, Jesus is identifying with the crowds who have come out to experience repentance and water baptism in John's earthly ministry. As we look at uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, we can see that God also validates this event. Jesus is coming out of the water, and then we see a variety of things happen. Now, as we read the text, it's not clear if this was visible to all people that were present that day, or if this was something that was only visible to John. But certainly, John saw this. Uh, Jesus was baptized immediately when he went up from the water. The heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Matthew has been working in these first three chapters to help us understand who is Jesus. And there is no clear indication of who Jesus is. And to have a voice from heaven, God's voice, declare, This is my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased pleased. Jesus was walking the exact path that God had intended for him. This meeting of John in the desert of Judea was planned. Uh, Jesus' baptism was part of what God wanted Jesus to accomplish as a part of his earthly work, as his earthly ministry. And we also see that that the heavens were opened up and, and part of the kingdom of heaven, the place where God dwells, the place where the spirit dwells, was, was revealed to John. John had some sort of a picture a revelation of what heaven looked like. And the principle for this section is that Jesus reveals the kingdom of heaven to his people. Jesus reveals the kingdom of heaven to his people. Lewis and Clark were sent out to explore uh, the, the Louisiana Purchase, some of the area where we live here in St. Louis, and then a lot of the, 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 you know, the northwest part of the United States was part of the Louisiana Purchase. Nobody had really been there before. Nobody had seen it. Nobody had 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 known what it was. They they sort of wanted to understand. You know, hey, we we spend all this money to buy this land from France. Go find out what's there. Understand the animals and the plants and the waterways and the terrain. Maybe you can find a Northwest Passage to the Pacific. Uh, maybe there'll be you know all manner of wonderful things that will be discovered. And so Lewis and Clark were sent out to describe. Uh, and, to, and to understand what this territory in the United States looked like. They were the, some of the first people who were, who were white, who were in the land and who were able to saw it. And so that's what they did. They, they plotted the rivers. They, they named the rivers. They, they described the terrain. They described the animals. And, and when they came back, they could tell others. And, and, you know, they have the definitive word about what this land was like. And in the same way, Jesus has been in the kingdom of heaven. He is the son of God. He has lived there. He has been there. He understands exactly the way that the kingdom of heaven operates. We're going to see as we get uh, through Jesus's temptation next week that Jesus's ministry was, Jesus began to preach and he said, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The exact same message that we heard John saying. And as we go through the book of Matthew, many times Jesus is going to say, the kingdom of heaven is like. 
The kingdom of heaven is like, whether it's a parable, whether it's a story, Jesus wants people to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so, as you think about God, as you think about the kingdom of heaven, as you think about the character of God, who are we listening to for information about the kingdom of heaven? There's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of people that would like to inform us about what the kingdom of heaven is like, whether it's worthwhile, whether it's beneficial, whether it even exists. Are are we willing to listen to Jesus as we go through the book of Matthew and understand what he wants to convey about the kingdom of heaven? Now, some of our perceptions are probably going to be challenged as we look at Jesus' words, as we look at Jesus describing the kingdom of heaven in ways we can understand. Some of our conceptions about who God is, who Jesus is, the way that the kingdom works are going to be pushed on. Are we willing to let our perceptions be altered by what we learn in the study of the book of Matthew? And Jesus had some hard teachings. Jesus has some things that are that were hard for his hearers to hear, and it's going to be hard for us to hear. Are we willing to stay engaged? Are we willing to keep listening to Jesus to understand more about the kingdom of heaven? Well, in this passage, I opened up and I talked about John providing the study guide. What's going to be on the test? John says, repent and be baptized uh, because the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, We also have Jesus' example, Jesus' witness of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has been there before. He is the son of God. He knows. The question for you and I as we wrap up tonight is, what is our response going to be? Are we willing to listen to these two witnesses? Are we willing to listen to these two men Uh, Or are are we going to want to listen? Are we going to want to ignore? Are we going to want to put off? Are we going to want to find excuses for why the words of John and why the words of Jesus can be discounted as we live our lives today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the ministry of John and the fact that all of the gospel writers wanted us to know about John's preparation of the way for Jesus. Lord, thank you also that we've heard the first words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And Lord, I pray that we would follow Jesus's example and be united uh, with the kingdom of heaven through repentance, through confession, and through ultimately obtaining a personal relationship with Jesus because of his death on the cross in atonement for our sins. Be with us as we go from here. Help us to understand how we can live lives that are characterized by the fruit of repentance. Pray that you'd help us do this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.